Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today is a Paralympian, a transformation coach, speaker, and the host of the Mindset Athlete podcast. It's James Roberts. How are you doing today, James? I'm very well, Alex, and thanks for the introduction. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm excited to learn more about your rise to the challenge. What we do with all of our guests is we go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? That's a different way of asking the question. Uh, For me, Alex, I come from uh, a military upbringing. So I think obviously the the era that we're living in now is probably very easy for me. It's yes, ma'am, no, 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 ma'am, yes, yes, sir. I do as I'm told, um, but obviously to give some context to that, I spent 19 years of my life over overseas in Belgium uh, on a NATO base. So NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization uh, that encapsulates, I can't remember how many countries, it's, it's expanded since my family's moved on, but obviously the United States, the United Kingdom, and the uh, major players, um, in, in the Allied powers doing the war. So I think that upbringing of resiliency because my grandparents, and, and be it my great uncle on my father's side fought in World War II. So I think a lot of that resiliency has filtered down to me because you mentioned obviously two-time Paralympians, so I've had a disability all my life. The, the adversity doesn't really set in with me because yes, I see, I can see it from the outside perspective looking in, but I was never one of those individuals that was wrapped up in cotton wool. It's kind of um, this message of single swim. Well, let's throw you in the deep end. The worst that can happen is you drown. Obviously that's never going to happen or you rise to the challenge, like very much like you say with the podcast. So I think for me, I did do a Facebook Live about two weeks ago where I opened up a bit more about my story and being brought up by my mother more so than my father. My father was in the picture, but it was my mother that was there day in and day out, obviously through the thick and thin. Um, and we discussed about my grandmother. And this was something I'd never known of her. She kind of went into this mentality of, I think I was about maybe a few weeks old. Oh, what, what, what's he going to do? How is he going to survive? How is he going to deal with being in a wheelchair? I've not known that till I'm 34 years old. So I, she never brought that to my attention throughout my entire childhood, my adolescence, and probably my formative years as a teenager. Uh, until she passed in 2002. It was always positive, 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 always putting me in a, in a position to win. And I think that's filtered down to my mom as like, well, we need to put you in a position to get on that platform within, within disability sport because I don't think she could face my grandmother if she hadn't have done all that she could uh, at this well, for us, it's the Commonwealth Games, so the, the equivalent for the Americans would be like Pan Am Games, mm-hmm. and put me in a position as a spectator to speak to the right person. And obviously, long story short, that coach then did after the speeches on on that occasion that my mum went above and beyond to put me in a position to be able to succeed. And th- thus, he said, I started too late in swimming. I started at 11. That's very much a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to prove you wrong. 
ultimately I went and did that. I made the national team within the space of a year to 18 months. Didn't make the Paralympics in swimming, but I've fulfilled my potential in another sport. So I think long story short, I've risen to the challenge multiple times. Would you say your mom was an inspiration for you with how she kind of was focused on bringing the positive into any situation? Or was there someone else that was an inspiration or a motivation for you? That's a great question. I'd say very much so, because there, there are quotes out there that you, you need to be satisfied with what you have and not dissatisfied with what you've not. She was never one of these parents to be, you know what I'm talking about, the pushy parents on the sideline in any sport that I did. It, I had pretty much free reign and choice. Uh, if I don't want to do this, I can walk away. If I'm going to do whatever it is, I need to put 100% in and I'll, I'll support you. So I think from a role model perspective, very much so because she wasn't one, she wasn't one to one living her dreams through me it was very much i will be supportive of your decision i will be there to give you moral support if you need to ask questions which i very much did in in my my career as should i or shouldn't i do something i would ask her first uh, it's probably um reaffirming my belief is like, well, I'm going to do it, but I just want a second opinion. But to answer your question specifically, I think, yes, it's my mom, yes, had a major motivational role. Uh, I also had um, probably coaches and performance sectors like very much father figures of they would bend over backwards for me to put me in the right position. Uh, and Yes, I lost touch with my performance director. I spoke to him about a few months ago, but that was the first time in a decade. I And I felt a little bit, you know, in certain terms, a little bit ashamed because it's like, well, yes, you, sport has gone by the wayside and you've retired, but that person's been there for like thick and thin. And, and, and I very much treat him like an extended member of my family and vice versa. So for, so for him to take me under his wing and to show me the ropes from getting from... Uh, event development and very much the potential where where I was at in swimming to where I got within rowing and volleyball when I made it to the performance level on the Paralympics. He was kind of the guiding light. Well, you need to do this because of X, Y, Z. I don't care what you think. I know what's best because I've been there and got the t-shirt. So it was probably for him, it was more, are we tough love? But he would always say to my family and to me, which James is going to turn up. And you could take that anywhere you, 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 you want listening or yourself. Um, yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. It's, it's technically true because I've actually used it uh, more recently as which James is going to turn up because is it the, is it one that is very much the likes of Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, you know, like a ruthless killer. He would step up, wouldn't, wouldn't hesitate to walk off over his own grandmother. That those were very few and far between when that happened. But if you actually came on the other, on the, the wrong side of me on that day, you were in for probably a hiding. Um, it only happened maybe 
can count on one hand when those occasions happened. And what triggered those, I don't know. I just, I guess I had a, enough was enough uh, when it came to in the sport of rowing being kind of everybody else getting a second chance. And I think that day I snapped. It's like, I'm going to prove a point. They decided not to select the finals, make the, the final trials as it was supposed to be. And I, and I made it clear and obvious, well, there's no coming back from this. You've, this person would be beaten by 30 seconds. I've had the perfect race. They know deep down in themselves, I'm the best person, I'm the best athlete, and I proved it. Thus, all the stuff we did after that was kind of a bit, bit pointless. It's like, well, he's not getting anything out of it. I'm not getting out of it. You're kind of wasting everybody's time. Uh, and then when it did come to the final trials, I just beat him. I, it's like, I'm not going to rub salt in a wound um, for the sake of it. That's probably the difference between me and Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. I'm not that ruthless. It's, I'm quite content with winning because I made a statement. He knows I'm better than him and I can do it again if I needed to. The weather was a factor that day and I trained day in and day out in similar conditions he'd never encountered that so i knew i'd probably go into the start and i've won the race i just have to do execute and that's it so i think to answer your question there's probably been two to three people that have been role models in different ways so growing up you you mentioned that your grandmother was worried like how are you going to survive with the condition you're going through talk about the condition that you have and did it affect your self-confidence in a way and that you were kind of happy that you found sports where you could kind of showcase what your uh, skill set could be? Well, my disability is a congenital one. So it's, I have, let's see if I can get it right. It's called PF, PFFD. So it's a congenital defect uh, where I don't have, let's see if I can get this right because I get it wrong sometimes. I'm missing my femur bone, which is the top half of the leg. I've got a small tibia and fibula, which is in the lower portion of the leg. No knee, no hip socket. So the, the actual top of the f bone is floating in muscle. Uh, so in nonsense terms, the radiof radiographer told to my mum when I was a few days old, he shouldn't be, he, by the amount of bones that he's missing in his leg, he shouldn't be able to walk. I obviously said to you before we started recording, I went down to the, to the pharmacy and to go get a new uh, battery from the jewelers. Obviously, I can walk. Um, so unbeknownst to probably that person, I have gone against better judgment because ultimately I think a lot of it is willpower and, and the mind is power, more powerful than people think. But because I've not been told that, okay, it's taken a little bit longer to crawl. It's taken a little bit longer to learn to walk, but I've got there. Um, and I think it's not necessarily rising to the challenge. It's, it's getting on with what you've got. It, it comes back to my point with the adversity that could have been all doom and gloom. I could have, my family could have accepted that uh, diagnosis and said, well, he's going to have to be in the in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. I think they probably questioned that. Well, let's not tell him. 
and then he'll 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 just adjust, which I did. And yes, there's been um, challenges along the way. And I think the question you asked has it ever affected my was it self esteem? Did you say? Yeah, self confidence, self esteem growing up. Uh, yes, in my teenage years, I did because I was in this mindset of even though the people were the same, and I would be very much okay with being in a sporting sense uh, in a sporting arena in shorts, be doing P in high in in school in shorts, but in the classroom doing everything else, I wasn't confident. I was very much of the assumptions that people are going to judge me a different way. And it took me probably two to possibly push, put a push three years, maybe about my, my junior year in high school to kind of say, well, James, the only person this is affecting you with overheating and sweating and being very uncomfortable is you. And what are you going to do about it? Obviously this is, it's very, very minor in, in comparison. But obviously, I didn't care after that. It's like, okay, if people don't like me because of the disability, in that environment, it's not likely because everybody is diff- different and similar in, in some degree because the, the population is changing every three years. Um, so everybody's in a similar position that, they've got to get to know somebody new and ultimately showcase why they're liked. Um, and I think it was me probably telling myself a narrative that didn't exist because even though I haven't spoken to some of these guys, some of these, well, they're now men and women for a couple of almost some, in some cases a decade or more, they're kind of very much, I'll push it out and in awe in some circumstances and kind of say, wow, you've achieved quite a lot since you've left high school. It's like, well, yes, I was on the cusp of some of that when I was in high school, but it obviously takes some of those things with self-confidence. And, and, but I think everybody second guesses themselves from time to time. And social media is probably a massive precursor of that in now I can't Facebook's been around for got nearly 15 years it's crazy I think give give or take I I had it when it was very very much in the very beginning when I was at university back in 2000 it's about 2006 I think uh which been it states that's almost almost 15 years and kind of see the evolution of social media because this is showing my age now people in their 30s will know what I'm talking about. MySpace was not so engrossing. You could kind of park it, leave it alone. If somebody's liked something or something like that, you'll pick it up maybe in like a week. It's very much like email. If you choose not to look at it, you you can get away with it. But I think where it is kind of encroaching on people's mindsets and this is only my opinion now is you know you're seeking something like love and affection in the wrong place so it's you're seeking an external thing that's not really there because ultimately people don't 
they've got their own lives and they've got their own problems uh, for you to seek out, you know, likes, uh, comments, shares. Ultimately, if it's good enough for you, that should be all that matters. And I think this is where probably it's the lines are being blurred as well. I want to seek instant gratification from somebody else, something else. Whereas, and, and I could put my hand up to this as well, because I do it sometimes as well. Um, and I t mentioned you before we start recording with a video, but I think deep down, if you've done it for the right reasons, it's going to affect somebody eventually. Um, and be it, that's probably worse reality television. That's where people, I think people like it because it's, I'm going to put it in, in rabbit ears quotes because it's technically it's prefabricated a little bit because they edit and chop and mm -hmm. show the best bits of fighting and things like that. Whereas it maybe not shown the stuff that lead up where I think where people are, they appreciate the real gen, it's not a word, genuine, the person being genuine, but I was going to say genuality. I don't think that's a word of an individual where you're vulnerable, you're transparent and you kind of show all sides of your life. I think people can relate more because I used to have this notion of, I wasn't putting myself as superior to other people, but other people were looking at me will put me on a pedestal because of my athlete athletic attributes. It's like, well, we are none, none. We are very much the same, but you're putting on me, you're putting on, putting me on a pedestal because of choices that I've chosen to make. And ultimately that's the only difference between you and I, or anybody who's listening is I was willing to ultimately sacrifice other things, which some people don't actually to bring into the equation i obviously had to give up a social life i had to give up pretty much my own birthdays a lot of times because i was either tra tra uh, competing or training and i'll bring you one of the, the stories where i'm going to go with this i forgot my own 21st birthday because i was competing on that day i completely forgot it kind of went out I, I knew it was my birthday that weekend but when it came time for it to be go into competition mode i was very anxious and struggling to eat and it only took other people to oh happy birthday oh, i didn't even realize it was my own birthday and that's a milestone the 21st yeah so would you say you talked about the sacrifices and before i get into that question i know the same feeling of judgment um with my friend group we all have our own disabilities and what we're going through but i kind of look at that as they're just a normal person like yes we're all going through something but we're, like you said we're all the same similar people in a way and knowing that we all are there supporting each other opening up about what we're going through i think we learn even more about each other and we kind of understand maybe some of the struggles that we go through and i think it just brought mm -hmm. our friendship even closer and they're basically the same they're from companies in college and we still talk every day, but it's not like we, we always check in on each other to make sure that everything's going well. You talked about the sacrifices with you being an athlete. At that time, did you feel that 
the sacrifices was the best choice and you're doing what was best for your career or you've now um at the stage of your life where it's like okay now i need to kind of look at what's best for me and maybe reduce the amount of sacrifices i'm making okay uh, no no with that one no because i think this is it doesn't matter if you're disabled you're able-bodied um especially at the elite level that we're talking about it's this tunnel vision the blinkers go on and i'm very focused on well, how, what's go, what, what's either going to make me better mm-hmm. or I discard it. Um, so I was probably not nice for a nice person or pleasant person to be around at the best of times. Uh, I had to obviously grow up a little bit and take on other people's feelings. I think my mom, because she'd been there for pretty much the duration of the career, she saw that as an evolution of me as a person. It was, well, James is like this because of whatever happens, whatever transpires in in in, the, in that event. Uh, if I bring up the story of my first world championships in 2006, I was very much a dick. It was I, I was very angry because of how the race had uh, had gone. Um, my teammates had gone over to say hello to my family. I was like, I need. I need. I think my mom could probably see it in my face. I need time to cool off, and to park what had what got gone because we. I think we finished sixth in that championships. Didn't do very well, um, and very infantile and pointing the fingers as well. This went wrong because of other people um, and not taking the 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 onus on myself to take some of the responsibility so i think my uncle and aunt took some time to be able to 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 see what in my world i think eventually did they did Um, and i obviously grew up a little bit um, within the sport as well by the time i made my first paralympics two years later it's a completely different story um, of once the race had finished and uh, we finished fifth in the Paralympics uh, and I said to mom that's the best we could she was shocked it's like it's like a completely different person it, it, it was like this little t- toddler having a tantrum and rolling around on the floor to an adult who's kind of said well I've thrown the kitchen sink at it it wasn't enough I've done everything I could on that day I'm content. I wasn't very happy the next day because all the team, the rest of the team had got medals. So I was a bit fuming with that one. But I think because of probably the euphoria, I was, I was up. I hadn't seen my family for probably two weeks at that point because we would, we were made a team decision to not see our families until the end of the competition. So I think it was a little bit, well, I haven't seen you. I've done everything I could in that final. And I think that final was the most relaxed I've ever been in my entire career, which I still don't know why. Uh, I think because externally we kind of told white lies to the press in terms of the final is the icing on the cake. Internally, that wasn't the case. We wanted a medal just like the rest of the team. Uh, Obviously, it wasn't meant to be. Um, I think our whole strategy was... A little bit difficult because I was told at the beginning of the race, stick with the Italians, 
and then from there, obviously try and pick off a medal from that. They messed up their start completely and were left for dead uh, on the start line. So I had to, like, a, a split second reaction and kind of say, well, what the hell do we do now? It's like the race plan has completely gone out the window. What do we do? So that split second reaction is like, well, I can't stay in the moment here because the right the the rest of the crews aren't gonna aren't gonna wait for this crew to get back uh and then obviously by the end of the race i think they pipped us by about probably that much it's probably what was it point point five as a second so it was like minuscule it's like a, the surge at the end but if i was annoyed the next day we're finishing fifth what would I have been like if we finished fourth? But if I'm quite happy I wasn't in their position because you spent four years and that goes wrong and you can't do that over again. It's happened to them multiple times, but it's only happened to me once uh, in, a, in a major competition, but we, we ended up winning it. So it's the flip side of that. I've been on the receiving end the following year, which was my last year in, in the sport in the World Cup, which is kind of like the bottom end of, of, of rowing because you've got the world champs and so the Olympics and the Paralympics are the pinnacle. That happened to us. And I kind of probably, as the brain does, being very negative, okay, this is what happened to the challenge. This is exactly what's going to happen to you. But I think because the, the, the crew member I had was a different person and they were very raw to the sport, I guess because they had made the mistake, they wanted to write it as soon as possible. So we're in a space of probably a split second. It's like the boat's picking up speed. And our team manager said when we came off the water, I've never seen a British crew do that much damage to a field so quickly and so ruthlessly. But by the, by the stage of the two, 250 marker, which is the quarter of the distance, we were first. So what that has to do to people psychologically as you've left a crew for dead and they just do that within a space of probably just over a minute to go for to it's, it, it's, it's, I, I, it's not pleasant when you're side by side to have a crew do it, but to be that far behind is probably soul destroying. I, I mean, I've seen those or competitions in the Olympics and it's just like people can be out there in the lead and then all of a sudden it's gone. Like it's, it's basically this, all, a lot of the sports nowadays, it's all about your mindset and being focused on the prize and one second can change the whole outcome of a situation. What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself being an athlete? Oof, I don't know. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned from being an athlete, I think it, it does help with business because you, you've, I've faced so much adversity, be it with selection, uh, injuries, you name it, time and time again. I've come on the winning side of it. Sometimes I'm coming on the, I've, I've come on the failure side of it. Obviously, nothing hurts as much as life, as the Rocky saying goes. Um, I think it's that resiliency to get off the canvas. It's it, it's it's a choice, and ultimately, 
who dictates whether or not you get off the cameras is, is ultimately you, you the individual. Yes, it's going to be people who want to keep you down. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are the people that obviously, for whatever reason, don't want you to succeed. But I think if you can get away from that and ultimately be in this state of positivity or you feel euphoria because you never you never really hear an athlete talk negatively one about themselves uh, or their their achievements or what they're going to do if they do obviously that obviously happens um be it i can't remember the baseball player he he, he was talking about he was asked if you were to make a mistake in the world series what would you do he obviously said oh, i don't want to do this he obviously talked it into existence and it happened. Um, so you, we try and dispel some of that self-doubt. I might, I might think about self-doubt, but I'll dismiss it straight away. Okay, that negative feeling it might happen. I can plan for it as a worst-case scenario if it was to happen because I've, I've prepared myself. But okay, that can go because it's not, it's not helping me. Um, but in terms of helping me as a, as a a, a lesson that's probably something i have to think about um if i'm if i'm honest it's that's not a not an easy question to answer and i think i've answered it a little bit i've there is aspects of i'll go back because people say don't ever go back in the past but i think as as athlete athletes and people that have done athletics you don't normally go back to negatives unless there's a lesson to be learned from that and most of it is what you remember is is, is the good time because uh, I've talked to teammates on Facebook and things and we were kind of comparing now to then or what's it like being an athlete now compared to then. I was like, well, we'd like to go back because that was the, the easy times and we were talking about the good times. Mm-hmm. But yes, there are hard things, but from a mindset perspective, it's like, well, at least we don't have to deal with this as well because that brings a massive complexity to this about, you know, social distancing, training, having the willpower to train by yourself, be it with Zoom. I know I know Rowan used Zoom quite a lot because I know a few of the, the current crop of the, of the team. But that's still pretty difficult because you haven't got the... The, mor- the morale support of the people being around you doing whatever testing it is, be it, I hated the rowing machine, but on, on land, that's pretty brutal. I always had support and people shouting or shouting encouragement as, come on, let's just get a little uh, an extra percentage out of you or get you to imagine that the, your nearest rival is on the machine next to you. But that's the coach standing right behind me. If I had to do that now and they're on a video screen, would I wimp out? I don't know. Yeah, that has to be hard because with athletes, they're so used to the atmosphere that's around them, like the crowd cheering, the crowd yelling, and excitement and stuff. And now a lot of athletes are training in a way where they don't have that. And on Zoom, it's like it's a it doesn't feel the same way. Like even with people um, doing interviews and stuff, it's like people like that in person, but now we're all adapting to a new situation. And it's kind of like, 
I think people can grow and become even better if they're able to adapt to any situation. So when they get out onto the field or on the water, they can, if anything happens to them, they're able to adapt in a second. And then you mentioned also about looking back at the negatives and a lot of sports definitely here in the United States, you kind of think about the, the bloopers or the negative thing outcome, like someone didn't catch a ball in a big championship game and that's the reason they lost the game. But we all think about that part, but not what did they do good? So I think a lot of people just have to grow from all those experiences. And I know in my life, any negative, I kind of say, what did I learn from that situation? What can I do better? What can I do to improve my skills in a way? Because I used to be that person where any negative outcome, I mean, that basically defeats me all the time because that's all I can think about. And I just have to think life continues on and it keeps on moving forward. What was your, what is your favorite moment um, in sports? Do you have one, like a moment that stands out to you that if you looked at it 20 years from now, that's what you're going to remember? I'd probably have to say my first Paralympic selection because I'd been yearning for that for years. And that was what I wanted to do as a 14, 15 year old. That was my aspirations to was to make the Paralympics once it was kind of thrusted into my face in terms of, well, why don't you do it? Okay. If I'm going to do it, I want this. I want the top of the pit. I want the top of the, ultimately I wanted a Paralympic gold medal, but if it was that easy, everybody would have one and it would de de devalue the, the actual achievement of doing it. So I think even though I didn't reach the pinnacle that I set out to do was to get a gold medal. Okay. Could that be down to the number of factors of my disability? I'm very much, because I'm congenital, normally, you know, at the bottom end of a classification, there's, no, there's, I would always have that against me. And that's been sold to me time and time again. It's like, well, yes, you could do this sport or that. However, this is going to be held against you. Or most of those have been, Rowan is a massive example. Most of the, the males within the sport were less disabled than me, but I made up for it in what I was able to accomplish technically. And I was very, very gifted as an athlete, even from my swimming days. It looked nice, but it wasn't effective. But what I was able to carry through from swimming into rowing is it looks nice, but it is effective now. And, and I think because they looked at the telemetry of, and this is being very sciencey now with this, of my stroke, to see whether or not oh, is James put enough effort as he can. And it was almost bang on perfect. It couldn't be any better. It's like, well, there you go, coach. There you go, coach. It doesn't, what, what is in the water, what is in the water you can't see. And this is the same quandary we had with swimming. It, I would always be told when I was swimming freestyle or crawl, yeah, it looks nice. But you're not really doing anything, and I didn't take any. I didn't take any harm out of that because it wasn't my, it wasn't my forte. It was probably one of my weakest uh, disciplines. So I was like, well, okay, if we were to break it back down, as my uh, head coach wanted to do, uh, 
in British Swimming with Billy Pye, I probably would have got it because we would have gone back to basics, broken it out down and started from scratch and then built from there. But obviously I was selected for the national team to swim breaststroke. So that wasn't the case. It, it was looked nice, but it did what it did said on the tin. But that was one thing I carried over as uh, probably a grudge to me. It's like, well, I don't want this to be held against me. Let me pr- let me kind of prove it. And it, it's, it's probably haunted me throughout my whole uh, sporting career. I've kind of got a lazy, fair uh, approach. It looks like I don't care, but if I didn't care, I wouldn't be there. So you need to, so once people get to know me and get to know my personality and just the person I am, ultimately I take pride in representing my country. It's, I don't want to let my first and foremost. I don't want to set, let my let myself down. When we go to volleyball, I had my my family's name on the back. I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to let my team down. I don't go into the complexes comp, complexities of let my country down because who wants the weight of, or in my case, seventy thousand seven seventy million people on my shoulders? No, no, thank you. And for the Americans, it's even greater. Um, I think some people forget that. I know one athlete in particular did do that and they'd have a lot of mental health problems after it because they were expected to win, I think, two gold medals in Sochi in the Olympics, didn't do it, and kind of publicly said, I've let down the country. It's like, well, I've got some sympathy for be, for you because I've been in that that position, but I've never made myself... So those, those never, and you, you're, you, you're setting yourself up to fail before you start. Cause you're trying to, you're trying to appease no well, 60 million people, 900, you know, you know where I'm going with that. Some people don't give, they don't care. If you were to fail, they'd be very happy. The press, the sporting press very much though. So. Oh, you failed just like we, we, we thought you might. We'll put we'll we'll put you up on a pedestal, and we'll just quickly pull the rug from under you. And it's the same with any sporting press around the world. They take great satisfaction in people's miseries. Whereas, at the end of the day, that's a human being as well. It's, I think, with me, I never made the occasion that big. I did. I have done at domestic level. And that's been a lesson learned because like, okay, uh, this season before it got stopped, I'd missed two games because of work commitments. And the first game I played, I put it on a massive pedestal, made it a big hoopla about it. And then absolutely had the worst game of my my life. And I think the, the, the lesson learned from that is don't treat it any different than practice. Ultimately, everybody knows the the viral comment that Alan Iver said, we're talking about practice. But I think where I'm going to do the flip side of the what I was talking about social media earlier, if he had access to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook back then, and being able to say, well, my, my friend has just been killed, I think people were given a little bit of respite and kind of said 
okay, practice in comparison is insignificant. But if you see the rhetoric, even to this day, and I think it was a TNT um, skit with uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Yao Ming, and they were talking about what's your funniest moment in time. And Shaq said to Alan Iverson, we're talking about practice. And I think that's pretty disrespectful a little bit because like, well, we now know why that he said we're talking about practice when ultimately when you lose somebody that close to you, you don't really care because you did, you, you can't fault him for, for turning up night after night and sacrificing his body for an organization. Okay. He didn't get a championship, but he is one of those people within the NBA that you would be easily recognizable if you didn't, didn't know you didn't know basketball by, you know, how he dressed, how he was. He didn't want to conform to the status quo that they see imposed rules. <laughs> then after that, players need to wear um, certain type of clothing before games, and I think they're starting to probably challenge that a little bit as well by obviously some I was I'd say probably Steph Curry is probably one of the probably very much like I was one of the athletes under the radar but obviously he's got that underdog tagline because of of being looked at as a bust but I think with what I want to end this rambling on a little bit about is I've been I've been in that, that kind of situation. London twenty twelve a little bit because I got ho- ho- kind of caught up in the headlights of the occasion. Um, in our last, I think it was second to last pool game, and it was the one we we had to win to be able to get out of the group. And I think for me, the occasion got to me, and I I was the only one before the games who'd been to one previously. But one teammate said to me. Uh, when Morocco would call a timeout, it's just like practice. Think of it, it'd be your, your back in Roehampton University where we trained in this little sports hall. There's no, no 10,000 people watching. It's just you and the other 11 people on court and that's it. They call a second timeout. The coach didn't have to tell us anything. So we were kind of probably laughing and joking amongst ourselves. Go back on court. Ace. The, what did happen? They call substitute. Uh, no, what did they do? I think it's, it, to try to break up play. I can't remember it. And I think people can forgive me because it is eight years ago. But that's a tactic that's used in volleyball to get people out of their groove it backfired because all somebody did was kind of remind remind me and reiterate what I'd done time and time out for almost two and a half years. I don't know how many practices we had between day one we went full-time to that game, but quite a lot, to I completely relaxed, I don't even remember what happened after it. Ace, then another one, substitution. It should have been another one, but the referee didn't see it. But obviously, 
everybody knows play on the playing court knew it was. And I think my mom asked me a great question a couple of weeks ago. It's like, do you think you could have served out for that set? I think so, because I was in a groove. Because like, well, you've lost all your timeouts. The only thing you can do is a substitution. And I think the you asked me about a really memorable moment. And I think it's even greater than probably being selected for the Paralymp- for the first Paralympics is my coach, after I'd come off and we'd lost that point, he said, you've put in, you, you've broken the game wide open for us. And I think we'll, you, you I, I can't, I'm, fig- I'm figuratively talking what he said, but it, you've kind of got us in a position to win it. So he'd probably thank me for probably taking it, the game by the scruff of the neck and kind of said, well, now, when I'm in 50 50, this is ours for the taking. It's almost like that during that time with your coach, it kind of gave you a confidence in a way like, I did great on the court and I did what I needed to do to give my team a chance in a way. I think it's, I think it's, there was a definite sense of hesitancy and, uh, and a little bit more stress within the team because yes we knew we were capable of winning it two years prior to the world champs they'd wiped the floor with us i did speak to them after the tournament because uh of me living in belgium my french is pretty good so i had a chat with them after the tournament so they would make a lot of excuses like um one of their players tested uh got banned for banned substance one person would not made a difference from having a, a swing from them winning 3-0 to us winning 3-0. Our team was so much better than the one that had competed at the World Champs in the US two years prior. Uh, I think one of my teammates who I'd spoken to a couple of months ago who didn't make the London team, when he saw us play that for the very first match of the, of, of the, the tournament, he was like, wow it's like a completely different beast it was from the team that went into training camp at the beginning of say july to the team that turned up in september was like until because we were training as a group of 10 for and, and living together pretty much living out of each other's pockets so at times there was probably a lot of tension and I, and I was I was one or well, I spend four to six hours with with all of you that's enough I want I want some peace and quiet because we ate our meals together um, like I said with the training to, for the gym living under the same roof we all had our own individual rooms I want some space so I, I can be very much ready to go every single time and and yeah there's pro- I've probably teammates who are closer with who probably I would hang out more with but that's personalities as well but I think coming back to your question probably with me because it's like well you can't get any more complimentary than that that uh, I think as the role I played as a serving specialist, it doesn't really matter if you serve the ball out or you get it in, you get a little bit of leeway because you're not into the game as much as all the other players or be it one of my teammates. I played the libero position as defensive specialist uh, for one tournament in the lead up. 
they get nothing. If if you if you do a job well done, you were meant to do that. Obviously, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you get criticised. So it's probably one of those jobs nobody wants. And I think when people ask me, well, why did you give up that role so easily? That's the reason why, because you're on a hiding to nothing. You are probably very much underappreciated as, as the role. You are cannon fodder for, for most things. You, 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 you sacrifice your body for a lot. Whereas a service specialist, nah, you get it in. You should, probably majority, yes, you got it. I think if you look at my serving record in the tournament, it's pretty good. Uh, but obviously there's a little bit more allowances. And then we went into knockout play because of my defensive specialties as well, started playing me. But that was, I think that was a missed opportunity. If you'd done it from the very start of the tournament, when it comes out to knock knockout play where it really matters, you've got a nice, you've got a solid passing unit. So that's, I'm not, I'm not going to pass all the blame because I was a weak link a little bit because I hadn't had the reps by that time. We weren't training as much. So I that was one part of my game that probably dipped a little bit. So some teams exploited it. It's like, well, we can see from the gate. This is where this this is where the internet is not your friend when it's at that level. Cause that video of the match is then on YouTube within a space of a couple of hours. So people your opposition can if they wanted to, they can dissect the game completely and all the teams would have people that are that's their job to look at okay who's the strongest person who's the weakest person what what are their tendencies etc so the brazilians probably looked at it well james hasn't played in the passing unit in the entire tournament let's pick on it and probably my face gave it away as like i don't want the ball so what's somebody going to do? And and even that's definitely something that I pick up now um, that I've been retired. I will pick up on those kind of tendencies. Well, how do you feel? So do you feel confident in your mannerisms? Do you does your body tell a difference? To, so I, I, I something that I probably do quite. I do all right with, with work. So it's trying to pick up on subtleties with how people speak. Uh, as well but I think from a sporting sense you were trying to take every ounce of an advantage that you could find so if it's if it's as easy as that one where you can see people are probably difficult seeing sweaty palms but you can see it in people's eyes if they don't want if they don't want a ball facial expressions is definitely a thing nowadays that people can recognize and people like you may not think that you're nervous or something but people are able to read you without even speaking any words and it's just crazy how that's developed over time and i think body language is definitely even when my position where i train people if they if i don't look confident in how i'm standing or how i'm like looking they know right away and it's like I hadn't even said a word. And I could be the best speaker in the world, but no, it's like it's all, it's always like that first impression in a way. So how did you make the transition into becoming a transformation coach? And talk about the process and what you do with clients or individuals. Well, that's a long story, but I'll try to contain it to, to a little bit simplistic way. 
I'd retired in 2013. Didn't know what to do with myself. I was unemployed for two years. And I think it got to a stage where I started hate looking at myself in the mirror. It got to put, it's like, well, what, what, why have you let yourself get to this such a state? I think me now and probably my athlete self would probably be disgusted. Cause like, well, why are you quite happy to sit around the house, mope, moan? Why don't you pull your finger out and do something? Because you never had a problem with that before. And it got to a stage where, well, I keep getting turned down for jobs. Why don't I do something stupid? Like, and this is obviously retrospective now, start my own business get trained to be a personal trainer and then go from there. Um, obviously I would say people to not do like I did. I just went on the internet, picked the first training company on the, on the list. And I've heard, I've heard some horror stories when that, when that happens, but I was lucky and all to a certain extent, there's no luck, but obviously the, the all the dominoes aligned because I got a good training trading um provider uh, i still keep in touch with my tutor i had five years ago um for for advice I, I don't talk as much but i used to quite a lot and then when i've worked two years in what well, corporate gym here to get experience and it was my health that suffered because i was having you know long long nights early mornings and it takes a toll after a while and I couldn't do it because it was just what your body's going to give up long before your mind does and you can't just you can't keep doing this because this is almost worse than you were doing as an athlete because it's it's just physically debilitating and and obviously with the mental side of things as well you're trying to make a living and trying to get people to buy something or buy into something that they might not believe. It's quite difficult working a gym floor because uh, you, you're speaking to probably the same people a lot of times, trying to convince them. Uh, it's trying to showcase your skills. I've probably still in the mindset of, well, match match attributes as an athlete should speak to them. So I didn't market myself as probably as well as I could. That's probably massive hindsight to now because I was always blaming the gym. It's like, oh, you don't do enough to promote me or promote other trainers. Uh, some of that's true, but some of that I could probably have done a little better. It's like, well, instead of using the rhetoric, everybody uses blah, blah, blah. I do this, that, and the other. I could have put that in my bio. I've done this. Now, it's a, whether or not you want to work with me, that's your choice. You read that that's probably a misstep that I've didn't capitalize on. I still don't a little bit, but obviously it's, it's a, it's a progression. What was the second part of the question? Cause I've completely forgotten. And I apologize. Oh, talk about the, like how you take on individuals and clients with your transformation coach business. Well, it's, it's like a free component to that is the physical, which most people know about the nutritional or, or the diet how we want to use the terminology and the big one is the mindset. And I think with that, this is where my degrees help 
because I did sports science. So the, 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 the nutrition and the physical very prominent in, in, in that degree. And my postgraduate was in sociology. So very much looking at the environment, uh, how society affects people with sport and exercise. It's very much, uh, and, and my dad is also a retired counselor. So evaluating people and psycho-evaluating people, I quite, I quite enjoy, and, I, and I've probably done it for longer than I've been coaching because uh, I think the person that hates it the most is probably my mom. I don't do it as much, and, and she sure as hell doesn't like when my dad used to do it a little bit. So she's like, well, you're not doing that because of this. Um, so I probably learned some of those tendencies because you know what triggers to put with your family. But these are, these are people off the street. And it's getting people to realize in consultations some of the BS. It's like, that's superficial. That's nothing. Come on, let's go deeper than that. And I think through the vulnerability that I've shown, people like that. Because it's like, well, James Williams is very raw. Sometimes less so than others. I've, I've, I have I've used the one like I was talking about earlier of my mother bringing me up as a single parent and me growing up with disability. It affected some people and they've, they messaged me privately. Like, you brought me to tears. That's nothing. If I really wanted to put, put, push the bow out, that's superficial to me. That's no biggie. That's okay. There's some negativity with the grandma and we've talked about that. I didn't know about that until two weeks ago. How's that? That doesn't affect me uh, emotionally. It's, it's different. It's, it's a different side to my grandmother that I didn't know. I know she's not no longer with us, so she can't say why she thought that way. But I obviously know what people's triggers. Uh, so kind of okay, if that triggers you, if I were to talk about something that's even more adverse, what's it going to do? But I think it does relate back to the individual. It's kind of going to as raw as they can go on the consultation and get to get to, to get in to see that they've got a problem because some people don't think they've got a problem until it is a problem. And this is where probably as human beings, it doesn't make no sense. I've been there as well. I've done some stupid things like that uh, and, and hit rock bottom. And it's like, well, how I got myself here. And that was with mental health, but, and that's because of, brushing things under the carpet as I did with sport. It's like, oh, I'll deal with that when I come to retirement. And obviously that that trash under the carpet gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, I tripped over it. It wasn't as big before. What, why? Because you've left it. But I think to answer your question, it's probably getting people to see the magnitude of the mindset because people are going to be on this... Um, the word I want to use um, spectrum some might some might be come to them that easily and naturally as in some cases it does for me because my coach likes to call me Robocop it's like uh, if it's something that's easy I execute it quite like a robot it's, it's not okay okay that's insignificant that can be done straight away and then obviously you've got the extreme of, you know, people ready, aim, aim, 
aim, aim. You're going to pull the trigger. So it's, it's a very complex thing to get people to say, well, you could be here. I've, I've, I've worked working with a few that are up near the top and those are, those are athletes. So I could be a little bit brutal in terms of, okay, you said that you wanted to work with me. You haven't made the pinnacle. You know, I've done the pinnacle of the, in this case, the disabled athlete. I've made the Paralympics. You know, my pedigree. That one, I can put the person's hand in the fire and then kind of say, well, come, come on now. It's only it's, it, the ball's in your court. And they did apologize um, for kind of ghosting me all summer. But some people, when you do call them out, some obviously run away with the tails between the legs. So it's, it's trying to be a little bit tactful at times. Sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I'm brutally honest. It's like, I'm just telling you what people that are afraid to do it. Some people appreciate that because it's, it takes a, a stranger to call out and tell them the truth. Some people don't like it. And because either through, you know, being egotistical because their ego's been hurt, their pride's been tarnished. It's like, I want some, if, if something is not right with me, or the business, I'd rather somebody tell it to my, tell me the facts straight and say, well, this is what's wrong. This is how you're going to, this is a way, a way in which you could fix it. I'm not saying there's one, there's not, there's definitely no one way, one fix for anything, but it's trying to educate people uh, to that and to trying to not necessarily learn from my mistakes because I think there's a life lesson in everything. You could, you're not, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect anyway. So when people say I'm trying to attain perfection, what happens if your goal changes? That's not perfection because you've gone in a different, complete different direction. Uh, that's how a sport person, I think, perseveres. I want to attain. Well, for me, it was make the national team, make a world championships make the Paralympic, the continental tournaments come later, but those were accolades that, okay, I haven't achieved that. Let me take that off my bucket list. There's only one that's missing from it. And if I don't make the Commonwealth Games, it won't eat me up because it's like I didn't have that many opportunities. And coming back to my point, I talked about classification. That's going to be the stumbling block as to why I'm not, 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 not because I'm not good enough, not because I'm not going to be the best person. It will come down to that and that alone. And I, and I knew that going in and I was willing to put that sacrifice in. It did take somebody else to kind of say, well, why don't you throw your hat, your hat in the ring anyway? That took some badgering to do it. It's like, and that was probably the best, the best decision I made. When did that happen? About 18 months ago to 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 do do the free on free basketball for the national national team because my confidence just what excelled because my game went to another level so covid if i was to be a little bit trivial and be selfish pain in the ass because i was getting better and better within this sport of wheelchair basketball and it, it kind of my progression got stopped dead in the tracks but we trained 
for the first time in five months, two weekends ago, and as if I never left the court. I'm sore. I'm sore and aching because of it because I've been in a wheelchair for five months. But that's only natural. But some of the the skills a bit rusty, but the the actual psychology of the sport still there and it, it was quite nice to not think about anything as sport does for people you just feel at ease it's like you've got no care in the world like i haven't felt like this for five months it's like this is not this is weird but it's pleasantly nice you talk about mindset a lot and how it plays a big part in being an athlete you're the host of the mindset athlete podcast how did that opportunity come about? That's an evolution, that Alex, because uh, it wasn't originally called that. Uh, the original name of the show was the Mindset Game. So mindset game and have a play on the words of ultimately the mind set like tennis and game for anybody that played a sport that basketball, American football, etc. Um, I don't think anybody ever thought of it like that of me being really that sophisticated by the to the presence of it. And it, it was a conversation I had with one of um, uh, the big people within promoting podcasts, uh, Daxi Perez. So I'll give him a shout out because I think he deserves it. And we had a conversation for about an hour and throwing ideas backwards and forwards. Does well, originally it was like, who is your ideal client? And I haven't worked with many athletes anyway, but it's like, well, who do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? And obviously I come up with the Mindset Game, uh, Mindset Athlete Podcast, and it's probably a little bit homage to me as it looks at every area that I've ever experienced, be that sports, education, my profession now. And give people behind the scenes. Well, what 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 did it take to get to those to those individuals to the levels that they are, and what can obviously the listener get out from it? So, the athletes themselves, I'm probably not the most. Um, I'm probably a savage when it comes to asking some of my questions because I, when I listen back, you're thinking. Mm, wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of that question because it, it was brutal. Some of some of the questions I'm thinking, where is that come? So it'd be just, I'm I must be very very inept by how I've learned, and I think being on other shows definitely helps because you can take um, things from other hosts. I'm thinking, well, I like that. Let's ask you this, or what's your stance or position on that? And obviously some athletes are a bit more restricted on what they can say, especially the British athletes. They're kind of boxed off what the government body will allow them to say, uh, what will affect their performance if a competitor was to listen to it. So some of the, I think one of the recent one I did with um, one of the Taekwondo athletes uh, who will be competing in Tokyo, I'll say hopefully next year because you never know. You never know. It might still be postponed. And a lot of that stuff I I, I asked, but obviously I had to pull because it's like, well, on reflection, do you want this coming out? Do you want this? So it went from a, about a 40 minute interview to 
I think I had edit to it to less than 20 minutes. So it's not as raw as it, as some of the other ones. And I think the Americans, that's like gold dust. Some of that, some of the answers they come up with, they tell it like it is. So, so I've kind of said to myself, well, you've got two choices. You can either stick within the confines of the British athlete a little bit and get better at it, which is a challenge. Um, and I think talking to you, I'll probably do that because I was thinking, well, do I take the easy route and do other internationals because they can talk, they speak their mind? And I think that's right. And that's why, one of the reasons why I started it because I was one of the radar, uh, one of the athletes, sorry, not the other, I went the wrong way around. I was one of the athletes that liked to stay under the radar and do as they were told. I don't do that on my podcast anymore. Uh, I have thrown gov- my own governing bodies under the bus because what I say is that it actually happens. So you can't, you can't say that's not true because that was fact. Um, and just tell people, well, this is what happened. This is how I overcame it. Uh, I think I entitled one of the episodes uh, "Living Among the Giants" from my days in rowing because they had a set idea that. Uh, within the Paralympic team, they wanted it to model the same as the Olympic, you know, big, heavy brutes. I beat every single one. And I'm five foot eight, 140 pounds. You want somebody that's 200 pounds, six foot plus, and I've wiped the floor with them. So this stereotype didn't work within the Paralympic. And all the guys were similar height, similar build. Don't need to be that big. And and obviously it's a platform to discuss certain aspects of what's happening in society. It's been like I've been a bit like a fortune teller. I've recorded things like weeks and months. And then when it's actually come time to air it, it's actually happened. So uh, one of the episodes I did with Lex Gillette, who's a four-time U.S. Paralympian, uh, obviously black himself um, and uh, visually impaired, and we talked about what can society learn from sport. Unbeknownst to both of us, did we expect the NBA to go, go on high airs? But what we talked about was what exactly what they did and i recorded that a month prior so it's so it's the curiosity i think that i've got to well i want to know this answer to this question i don't want to be vanilla i have used it a little bit to kind of say well this is a little bit controversial it's a little bit on pc i think with the disabled athletes I don't care because what we what we say on the episode is tame in comparison to how we speak to each other, probably in the confines of our own, I'll call it a bubble because that's what it is. Uh, within that safe space, it'd be a lot worse and a lot cruder. If you, the listener, take offense, I don't think he, he or her has taken offense. I think the one that I use, I've not had any bad publicity or any message of hate from it. I asked, obviously him being a visually impaired athlete, he went to the University of Eastern Carolina and their mascot's a pirate. So I said, isn't that ironic? 
it's 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 pretty it's pretty inflammatory a little bit because some people would say that's I can't say that James that's very insensitive. No, it's me going from memory. It, it's it's a little bit funny. It's a little bit sarcastic. Did I intend to put it in there when I started recording? No, but I thought well. Let's let's ask let's ask, and let's ask these difficult questions and and like bullying's got in in into sport and get people's opinions. Some people have said no, it's not. Some people have said yes, it is. Some people have. Well, I sat on the fence because I didn't air it because I just talked about it with one and we talked about it off air. It's like oh, I thought you were gonna bring it up. And I didn't think it was right. I have since done it. Black Lives Matters. I brought it to the floor. Uh, brought it to the fore because it's not going anywhere. Let's talk about it. Obviously, between, I think it's a little bit more potent if it's between two, two black individuals. I'm mixed race, so I probably bring a different side of, to the to the coin. And I think because pretty much. I've been brought up by the white side of my family. I, I I wouldn't call myself white privilege because I come from a middle class background, but I've had my my adverse moments. I've had my my injustices, my discrimination against me or my family. I just don't talk about it. it it's I get on with it, it's, uh, and the same with any disabled person, because um, obviously the narrative is a black person has to work ten times harder. I made a Facebook post. Well, I've had to do that since I was born. And that, for a disabled person reading that, that's funny. Because it's, I, I've, I've flipped it on his head and make it, made it, made it a sarcastic comment. But it's also true. But do, do we dwell on it? No. I kind of go, well, it's the hand I've been dealt. I think that's the difficulty of the individual when they acquire the disability. It's the haves and the have-nots. It's, I'm either you're yearning for past glories and, and what was I able to do when I either had a leg or if my legs worked, I was able to do this. And this is some of the some things I actually talk about with clients sometimes when they when they're struggling a little bit. Why are you putting a limiting belief on yourself? What's to say you can't achieve this in the current state because that's how I thought from a childhood it's like okay we'll go back to the early day because you asked me in the beginning I didn't mention this of the early days I was sat on the on the sidelines uh, in the playground watching my my well a lot of them I still speak to 30 years later 30 say 25 years later but don't talk about that of watching them just being on playing on the monkey bars and it's just that adversity of getting over the, the first few steps with my disability. It's like, well, how do I overcome that? And this is something my mom has told me after the fact, because she said, oh, she, I watched you. But you could see the, the metaphor, meta, metaphorical, yeah, I was right with the word, cogs turning in my head. How do I overcome this challenge? Two, three days later, I was able to I was able to achieve that. Same in later on in, in elementary school, running up the slide the wrong way. I wanted to overcome that challenge. It took probably a little bit longer, probably a couple, maybe a couple of weeks, 
it was a massive accomplishment. We wanted to have achieved it, but that's throwing health and safety out the window. But we're talking about 20, 20 years, 20, 25 years ago. Um, it wasn't curtailing people as much as it probably does now. And I think it's something that's ever served me every way. It's if there's a no, okay, what, why, why can't I do it? Or it's not been done yet. Let, let, let me show it can be done. And even people that are outside the business, I've had, had amputees say to me, I know my physical limitation. No, you don't. I've come from that environment of, of pushing the boundaries. I'm not saying you, you want to get to that level, but that is the level of pushing, you know, the boundary on what is disability. Of, and this is, is only my opinion now, but I think this is where probably the Paralympics itself puts a kind of a concrete ceiling on its athletes because they'll classify people out if they're not, if they're not disabled enough, that's wrong because the Olympians themselves are hired, are held in a higher degree than the regular population for the simple message of higher, stronger, faster. They've pushed the boundaries of what is physically possible. Why can't we do that in disability as well? If, if you are able to push the boundaries of what you're physically capable of, that is technical in every in every other industry, any other capacity. You can see I'm quite animated with this one, uh, with this point. But that's innovation. But why 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 are the Paralympics kind of put shackles on individuals? Because if you want to do, you want to push the boundaries on what you're capable of. That should be uh, celebrated, not not. What's the word I want to use to make a powerful statement? You kind of, not victimized, but you are, seem to be viewed as a cheat. Shouldn't that be a level of, well, if, if, if so-and-so is able to push to these extremes, why can't you? But ultimately, that is a choice as well. But if you want to be the best of the best, and I think this is where I think if we go back to the days of my of me of rowing, it was all the other nationalities didn't want to. It was a talk of us going up to two thousand. It's gone since up to two thousand k, but it's taken ten years to do it, and I don't know how it's got through. But all the other countries like adamantly no, we don't want to go up to two thousand. We're wiping the floor with you anyway. What's the difference if we do it over a thousand meters or we do it two thousand? We were tra- we were already training over, over 1,500, 1,750 in the winter, and I hated it because over distance training because you have to do it multiple times. But if we would go to two two k from one k, it's a completely different race. It was very much balls out, and what you were talking about earlier, you know, the, some of these people the wheels would fall off. Sometimes, sometimes they wouldn't. It's foot to the foot to the floor. No care in the world. Oof. Two thousand meters is not like that. If you did that, you'd be very lucky to finish. But would I have been more successful in that discipline than the thousand? We'll never know. 
but I think it is probably this disbelief as you know the rhetoric of we're going 50 years ago we must lock disabilities into a, a way and not to be seen it still exists in Africa African cultures and in in Asia it's not so much prevalent in in the West but shouldn't they lead from the front I know Channel 4 did a ran for the London London 2012 Paralympics superhumans I think that one was a little bit too far-fetched because now you're setting up an entire population to fail for no fault of their own because you're putting oh well you got disability do you want to go to the Paralympics and that individual might hate sport just because they've got a disability doesn't mean they're going to go to the Paralympics and I faced a lot of competitors like that and that they'd be an ex-military. Oh, I've had a limb blown off. I'm going to make the Paralympics. And the BBC made a documentary about that. I bet he, he, he didn't even get a look in. But that was, that was, this is where, what I said in the very beginning, you need to have internal motivation. That was like very much external motivation that I need to kick me up the ass because I was getting very lackadaisical and probably to a certain extent complacent. I'd made two world championships up to that point. Uh, I wouldn't say the sun shined up my backside, but pretty, in, in my eyes, it probably did. It's like, pff, I don't need to really do much work here. But that was motivation in the, in the, I'd say probably about this time of the year, maybe a little bit later, maybe October, uh, maybe November at a push. I still don't think that's the only motivation I need. Like now, you're not gonna have it that you're not gonna walk straight into the team to go to the Paralympics, and this is my first opportunity to do it. I'm gonna have something to say about it, and it didn't even come close. I was pretty dire on the rowing machine, but he was even worse. So thinking, well, I don't think the document is in the light of day, but that's probably embarrassment for the BBC because you made a a TV documentary about somebody and they haven't even got it through the door. So that's probably my little, little bit left hook to them. But I had a little bit of adversity that season. I beat the second or third person in the team all winter, come to trials. And this is the magnitude of... This is the only other time it's happened at the elite level. The other one was with basketball uh, this season. I got caught in the headlights of the occasion. It's like, well, this is the pinnacle. I'm going to get maybe one shot at this because I might only get one game. And people couldn't believe how badly I rode. It's like, well, this is like a different person. It's like, what's happened to the one that was having a field day on training camp? And I had no pro and okay, it was me in a sing in a single by myself in in Spain, here in the UK. We we run it as a double, but that because it's a mixed sex um, classification, she had to row twice and I had to row second. And why when I it was my position, he should have to row second and displace me, not the other way around. Uh, but I don't think they expected me to be that bad. But what I'm getting from this, if I didn't have the support of 
my role model and my father figure, who's Anthony Hughes in Disability Sport Wales, my performance director, in my corner, I probably possibly don't go to my, I don't, maybe not, well, I don't have a conversation with you because I've not gone to do Paralympics. And it was the willingness to, I was a bit very stupid after that fact because I, I was kind of very, a little bit naive because it was like, well, you've rode so badly. We'll give you a second chance because we don't want to get sued because it was going to get to that extreme because everybody else would get multiple chances, but I wasn't on this occasion. So they were going to bring the lawyers in, whether or not it was race related or not. I don't know. We'll never know. But me going from my head as well, how do I move from South Wales where I was at university to the outskirts of London, what do I do? So I was very hastened to, you know, forego university, all these things. And this is like April. So we're nearly finished my first year. And looking back on that, on that, some of those thoughts, because they weren't decisions in the end, because people kind of say, hang on a second, James, this is a little bit of idiocy. Now you're going to forego probably your life after sport because it is a backup and people talk about not having a backup, but I think you need to have a backup just in case. Uh, and even swimming taught me that you need to go to, you need to further your education if sport wasn't to work out. But what I'm getting to with this was if it hasn't been other people in my corner, I'd have probably said, well, university now nah, I'm going to just leave even though I've already got a, what was it, by that time, like two months and then the exams to sit and that was it. And I think because of that support network, probably took longer the move than I would have liked because I spent all Easter break in my halls of residency waiting for this to get, all the talking to get sorted for me able to make the move. And I think he was a bit annoyed with it as well because he, he kind of let, the powers be deal with it but if he'd have been involved he'd have got it probably it's probably that's where some of that robotics in nature comes from it's like you need to do this 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 get it done bosh we're done we're away we go uh and 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 the rest is history but it's very much i took the page out of that book the following season because i said once university finishes and this was my final year in the team I'll be straight up there. It was different head coach by that time to be there. And when I showed up on the Monday, it was very shocked. It's like, I thought you were just talking a good game, James. No, no, I meant it. I, f- I finished here. I've did it, pack up my stuff, put it in the car. My stuff came back home where I live now uh, with my mom. So she'd be very supportive every single season because all that stuff from university went in either the garage or in this case in the house. And I obviously went along my merry way to do that. And I think, no, I can stick to my word. It's I need to do this, 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 get it done. So I think when people do come to speak to me, I do get frustrated a little bit. And this is where the Facebook Live I did yesterday, I've been more the sponge and less like the hammer. It needs to come out more. I need to be a little bit more empathetic to other people that they're not all built like me. Uh, they're not all 
mythological creatures. I've like got Thor in there uh, with his with his um, oh, mythical hammer. Um, I talk a good game about running through brick walls for people. No same person is going to do that. For, for some people, might for me, some clients might do that. Some people might say, "Well, can I go? Can I can I dig myself under it or climb over it?" Do I? I don't necessarily want to run headfirst and smash through a, a wall that's okay. It doesn't exist, but you get the, the, the saying. I'm what I'm talking about. It's 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 a limitation or it's a barrier. You've you've just got to get through it. So I have to be a little bit more sympathetic of other people's adversity, trauma. I'm getting better at it because I would nobody would want to work with me straight out of sport because I would have been ruthless. I would have been a dick because I was going to use the saying, "What's your excuse today? You at least got all your limbs." Never had to use it, but that's the way. That's how I used to think. It's like, well, what, what's, what is, what is your excuse? Why are you fat? Why, why are you slow? Why, why? Are you, and no, no empathy towards how you got there. Um, what's transpired before? So some of the conversation I have with people in that messenger, like, it's going to take me a while to digest that. I wasn't expecting that. That's pretty brutal. Okay, I can see why that traumatic experience has put you to, you know, you have a bad relationship with food because of something that's happened previously. And I think people have to realize that. it's it, Trauma is trauma. It, it doesn't matter the severity of it. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. It's not going anywhere. And I can't remember... I was talking to mom yesterday about this and I don't know if it was a YouTube video or a TV advert or a TV program. And I'm sure it talked about, you know, the brain has a good uh, tendency to um, block off bad trauma to, to protect itself. Ultimately, most people need to open that door it's because it's because you need to deal with it at some point it just matters just the case of when not if because it's coming out whether you like it or not um it depends if you want to wait until like me of i was in education as a job about 18 months ago i blamed the job for when i spiraled mentally it was just the last thing to push me off the cliff it, it all stemmed from all the stuff I was not willing to deal with in sport. It's like that's it. that's not really that's not really having an effect. Some of it, some of it. Um, one of the uh, teammates that I talked about with Rowan of the six two thousand six seven and eight team, they killed themselves. And but my coach rang me up in twenty eleven, and I'm thinking, why is my head coach? I don't know why I started funding in my phone because I'd been in the program for like two years. Thinking, I thought, are oh, you want to ring me up for me to come back? Like, you know, like begging kind of uh, thing. And he told me that. And why he told me that is because obviously the, the family wanted to be able to to grieve. And if, if anybody from the press was to come and ask, well, 
watch it or thought oh, I can't talk about it because um, it's the sensitivity of the matter with the fam. But I didn't deal with that for eight years. I bought all that up and I would lie to family, to friends when they talked about, oh, how's so-and-so doing? I'm doing okay. So I'm just lying to myself, straight in the face. Um, and I think probably what I should have done, uh, um, and for anybody that's listening, uh, is probably in a similar circle, you need to talk about that because it's a lot easier to do it with somebody else than to try to do it alone. Um, because probably where some of the resentment came from it's like just eats, eating away at me um and we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about well what kind of person would you like to, to to be around because she was probably angelic it was the kindest person you could think of i was a little shit i was complete opposite i was a massive dick and can I change some of that? No, it's that's who I was and that's how I acted. Uh, I wasn't always like that. I'm not, not going to paint a picture of me being, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, but I probably could have treated her a lot better. And it's, it's probably what doesn't sit well is as us as teamers, what could we have done better to, you know, any warning signs to, to maybe be a little bit more supportive and I think that's probably when I when I've had it I've never resorted to that extreme uh, I think the closest I've been and I'm quite happy to be open about this it's probably the last six months I've pretty 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 low because of not being able to do what you want to do is very difficult and and lots of things were kind of mounting up on themselves and I was kind of going off the ra- off the rails, but it was. Oh, I was recommended to go to the hospital to make sure I didn't. I was having that like, chest pains and, and back pain, so they just wanted to rule out whether I had a stroke. I would have I either had a stroke or, or likely do have one or, or a heart attack. So they just want to make sure. And while I was in the hospital, they asked, "Are you likely to hurt yourself or anybody else?" And I didn't think of the magnitude of the actual question until I thought about it recently. Because I said yes, because you're just answering the question. Mm-hmm. And the severity of that answer is massive in terms of, and I had to be psych, psych evaluated. Uh, and, and I think a learning curve from that, I was pretty open and honest with the clients from that. I'm, I'm on medication for it, for anti, more so antidepressants help sleep because I think that was where I was struggling because I was playing out in my mind the pandemic probably in the worst case scenario as, oh, I'm likely to die tomorrow. Um, and I think probably most people have either thought about it for a little bit, maybe some people a little bit more. Uh, it's not obviously that's not happened because I'm speaking to you now six months later but I was talking to one client in particular this week about it because I wanted to do more along with mindset with you know the the, the ones that are working one-to-one with me because ultimately if we can get you to think like me not be me because I did have a client that wanted to be the carbon copy of me and that scared the shit out of me because uh, it's like no I'm quite happy to you have traits like me, 
but I don't want another human being walking about me in a carbon copy. Uh, that would scare me. Yes, she was a woman, but I don't particularly want a female version of me walking around and be exactly the same. It's like, yes, you can learn things from me, learn from mistakes and do things a little bit, little way. And they did improve. You could see that. Um, but I think that was one aspect that's missing within my coaching is to focus, like really, really drill down as I'm not going to give anything away because I'm thinking about rolling out as a program anyway, but so people can maximize and really look at the psychology that is, is massive. It's in every aspect of your life, be it relationships, your, your, how you approach exercise, how you look at food, how you talk to yourself, etc. The list is endless. So I think it's it's probably taken a long time because I was very skeptical of it years ago. Uh, and I would say it was probably wishy-washy at the best. To It's massive. And to, to it was hard, that session I did with them, because one-to-one, I've got to listen to that as well and trying to get them to be more assertive in terms of some of the things they were coming out with. Well, I believe what you're saying. And one of the, I can't remember what the exact said, I'd have walked through, I'd have run for a brick wall for what you've just said. And I was being honest. It's like, you, you've, you've psyched me up that much. I'm ready to go. But now what I need to get you to be better at is to believe that yourself. Um, so be it affirmations, be that looking at why you failed, why you've succeeded. That's quite difficult because ultimately it's being vulnerable to see where you fail, your frailties are. People should be able to do why they succeed quite easily. Ten, ten things should be pretty, pretty simplistic. Um, but what I'm going to do in the future is to do it as a roundtable between a series of multiple clients so they can brainstorm off each other. So like, okay, I haven't thought about that, but I have that as well. So let me add that to my list. Uh, Cause that's one thing that my coach has done as a program and he's called it the focus muscle. Uh, very much like the brain is a muscle and you would just listen to other people. Oh, I've not written that down as my 10, but that's my 11th, my 12th. So I got, got 14 in the failures and, 12 in the positives but it, the extra six i got to from listening to other people uh, and i think that's why being a, a community that's probably why i think a lot of people don't like the pandemic because it's going completely against what we are designed to do as human beings we're supposed to be a community it's, we're supposed to be together we're not supposed to be this lone wolf some people obviously can deal with it a little bit better because they're introverted people. I always thought I was this, this six to eight months has proven to be game changing because I'm not, I'm probably somewhere in between. I'll, I'll depending on what it is, be external. This is very much external. I quite enjoy it, but it is the limelight like sport is it's, it's I'm comfortable in the arena it's you're asking my opinion and where it's come from. Yes, I'm quite happy for people to challenge that. And I, I quite enjoy it because it's debate. But other times I'm quite happy to be internal to, and to be by myself. So it's what that actually is as a as a term. 
I don't know. I, I need to find out if there actually is like something for being middle ground because uh, I think most people are. Uh, they might think they're extroverted, but they're not. And some people might think they're introverted and they're not. And that's okay. Final question I have for you is based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give someone listening to this interview to accomplish their goals, to overcome challenges and rise to their challenge? Pull the trigger. Just do it. Just do it. I think, I think as a society nowadays, we're more inclined to think what other people are going to think of, of us, of, of what it is. And it doesn't get done. It doesn't happen. It just stays there. Um, obviously, Under Armour talks a good game about it. The, the adverse, uh, adversary of, of perfectionism is, is innovation. They don't put anything out that's crap. They put it out and they make it better. Apple is very much like that. It's it shouldn't be that way, but but that's it's acceptable for something to be eighty ninety percent perfected mm-hmm. with better than it being a zero. Or for argument's sake, it's stuck on a shelf. It's stuck on your computer. It, it's it's you yourself procrastinating and. I'll give people a picture of this, you know, standing still. Stagnant water is disgusting. Most people will not want to be stood still in something that's pungent. You wouldn't really want to be around it. So why why would you want to be any different? Because the world's going about, it's going to still carry on as normal, even if you're stood still. And the world could care less if you're stood still. If you think that's not true, you're kidding yourself just just I think the moral of the story is just don't care just ultimately yes you want it to be appreciated you want to be appreciated ultimately the people that do care and love about love you are still going to be there irrespective of something doesn't work you know if your family and your dearest friends they're going to be it, this this type of thing will prove who 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 are the, the people that are going to be around you long term because most people most people want you to fail why do, why make it any easier by doing it yourself by self sabotaging just get out get, get I've, I've done it myself just get out of your own way it's it's at the end of the day it's you that's stopping you from getting achieving uh, and rising to the challenge let's get out of the way i agree with that i think people just gotta focus on themselves in a way and not let other people's opinions affect them and i know i've done that in the past where people's opinions played a big effect but i'm kind of like I got to do it for myself. Well, James, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I enjoyed learning about your rise to the challenge and we're all excited to see what the future has for you. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.